So I'm going to preach, and then we're going to have a worship set so we can do the things we were talking about here in this passage. So we're in the middle of a five-week series on faith-building practices. Two weeks ago, we learned about abiding in Jesus' word from John chapter 8, the importance of studying the scriptures. And last week, we looked at the importance of persistent prayer from Luke chapter 11. And I am so encouraged at the reports I've been hearing of people who are taking new steps in Bible study, taking new steps in prayer. So God's at work. This is very encouraging. Now, this morning, we're going to study the topic of worship by looking at Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And while you're turning there, let me tell you why this psalm is so important to me. It goes way back years ago when Jan and I had just gotten married, and we were at a church in Southern California, and this was a beautiful church. They loved the Lord Jesus, and they were faithfully preaching and teaching God's Word. But for them... Worship was, was just singing truths about God. That, that was kind of their whole expectation. You just come together and you sing good truths, biblical truths, glorious truths about God. What was interesting, though, was a few years later, we had left that church, moved away, and the pastor from that church wrote me a letter. And he told me about how he had gone to visit a different church, and that at that church, he had the most powerful experience of worship he'd ever had. He told me that he had powerfully met God and experienced the presence of God and fell even more deeply in love with Jesus, and his life really was transformed. And so I'm reading this letter. Jan and I are talking about this. We're thinking, what's going on? And so the next time we were back down in that area, we visited that same church, and we had a powerful time of worshiping and beholding God. We could tell something different was going on there. It wasn't the music. It had nothing to do with the music. But we could tell from watching the people that they weren't just singing truths about God. They were hungry for God. They were thirsting for God. They were coming together to go hard after God, to seek God, to meet God. They were there to meet the living God through Jesus Christ, and they were meeting God. We could see from their faces and from their expressions, God's here. God's touching hearts throughout this room. This is an amazing thing. And I left that gathering, and I thought, I've got to study more of what the Bible says about worship. And so I started to study scriptures, and the most powerful passage God used to shape my thinking about worship is Psalm 63, which we're going to look at this morning. Here, David, David wrote this psalm, and he talks about how he worships God. Let's look at what he says, verses 1 through 8. First of all, the setting. It's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 1. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints, that means yearns, for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So, because I'm hungry for you, 
I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Powerful passage of scripture. Now in this verse, in these verses, David describes worship. And one thing I hope you notice is this verse, this passage obviously teaches that worship can happen anywhere. Right? Beginning the psalm, the introduction, he writes this when he's in the wilderness. So worship can happen in the wilderness. Verse 2, he talks about being in the sanctuary. That's in the temple. That's like what we're doing here when God's people gather corporately to worship. In verse 6, he talks about worshiping when he's lying on his bed or when he's awake in the watches of the night. So worship can take place anywhere. But what I want us to focus on this morning is verse 2, the setting of in the sanctuary, worshiping here. What do we do when we come together Friday mornings when we worship? And in verse 1, David answers the question, where does worship begin? Where does it begin? Now, you might think, well, worship, it's, it's worship, right? So it just begins with praising God. But that's not where his worship begins in this passage. Did you notice that? Look at verse 1 again. Where does his worship begin? Verse 1, O God, you are my God, earnestly. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints, yearns, longs for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So for David, worship begins with earnestly seeking God, hungering for God, thirsting for God. He says he's longing for God like a man or a woman might long for water out in the Abu Dhabi desert, okay? You've been there? Thirsting. You want God. Now, that kind of language might puzzle you because you might be thinking, why do I need to seek God? I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord and treasure. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm reconciled to God. I know God's always with me. I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to earnestly seek God? That's a very important question. And the answer is, because as much as God has already given you through Christ, by the Holy Spirit in your salvation, as much as he's already given you, God has more of himself, more of Jesus to give to you by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples. Jot down Romans chapter 5, verse 5, where Paul says that every believer will have times when God pours his love into our hearts. What does it mean to have God pour his love into your heart? It's one thing to believe 
that because of Jesus on the cross, God loves you. And that's very important. We should believe that all the time. We don't depend upon our feelings. Regardless of how you're feeling, you know God loves you because by faith in Christ, you know you're forgiven, right? It's one thing to know that God loves you, but there are times when God will pour his love into your heart. So you don't just know that he loves you, but you feel his love for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Read it. John 7, 37 to 38. Jesus says we can experience the Holy Spirit making Jesus so real to us in our experience that our hearts are completely satisfied, like our heart thirsts are totally quenched, and we're not only quenched, we're overflowing with living water. Have you experienced that lately? Are you hungering for that? Are you thirsting for that? Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, this verse always challenges me. He says that, Every believer can have times where we know joy unspeakable and full of glory. When is the last time we've experienced that? Where God so reveals Jesus in his beauty and majesty and truth to you through the word, but he reveals it so powerfully that you are filled with, with joy that's full of his glory that you can't express. It's unspeakable. Are you thirsting for that? And then right here in this passage, notice that word satisfied in verse 5. Underline that word satisfied. So important. David starts off hungering, thirsting in verse 1. In verse 5, he says, I'm fully satisfied. What's happened? He's hungered for God's presence. He's longed to behold God more clearly, powerfully, experientially, feelingly in, in his heart. And God has answered that prayer and poured his spirit out upon him and revealed his beauty and glory and majesty to him, and he's, he's satisfied. His heart's filled. So why do we hunger for God? Why do we earnestly seek God? As believers who are trusting Christ, who know we're saved, why? It's because as much as God has given, he has more for you. That's why David is saying, I'm hungering, I'm thirsting. Now, years ago, when I was studying this passage for, I think, the first time, and seeing these things, this convicted me, first of all, because what I saw was that it had been a long time since I'd experienced God pouring his love into my heart, experiencing anything like joy unspeakable or full of glory. My Christian life had started off with something along those lines, but, but sadly, I had let that die away. And I was convicted. It's like, what's happened? And God started to stir fresh hunger in me. So this passage convicted me. This passage also, though, encouraged me. And I hope this will encourage you. Here's why. It's because worship doesn't usually begin with hearts that are exuberant in praise. Now, sometimes that happens, right? You walk in here. God's been meeting you. Just praise the Lord, right? You're just like, come on, everybody. What's wrong with you? Let's... And the rest of us, you know, we're thinking about, you know, my kids and job, and, and maybe there's some temptations that are grappling with me. And I think for most of us, most of the time, worship does not start with exuberant praise. But what's beautiful is we can come and say, I need you, God. I'm hungering for you. I'm thirsting for you. Come, help me, meet me. I want to behold you. I want to worship from the heart. Come and move upon me. And whenever God's people pray that, he will answer. He will do that. So let this first verse challenge you and encourage you with the fact that worship begins with earnest seeking of God. That's how it begins. Now, how does it continue? 
And as I studied verses 1 through 5, I saw five steps. Convenient, okay? 1 through 5, five steps that David took as he worshipped God. So let me just walk through these and see if these help you understand what David did when he worshipped. First, David expressed his longings to God. Again, look at verse 1. Notice how he does this. He's talking to God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So David's talking to God here. Do you see that? And, and I would encourage you at the beginning of worship, you come in here a few minutes before worship starts, sit down, just get some time before, I mean, greet the people around you, but then, oh God, I need you. I long for you. You are my God. I, I won't be satisfied anywhere else but beholding you in Jesus Christ. And so I'm here to go hard after you, Lord. Meet me this morning. Help me this morning. Pour out your spirit. Teach me your truth. Show me your glory in Christ. Come and do a mighty work in me. I would encourage you to start off worship, crying out to God along the lines of what David does in verse 1. So you're expressing your longings before God. Now, what about those mornings when you really don't have any longings for God? Okay? Maybe the only longing you have is like that Manchester United would win the football match, right? Or that you, you can pick up that dress you saw at Yaz Mall. Or, or maybe there's just like no longing in your heart, just like, this, this thing's dead. I'm not feeling anything right now. Okay? We all have times like that, right? So here's the good news. Jesus Christ, our Savior, he died to pay for our sins. And by faith alone in Christ alone, you can be assured you are completely forgiven. And so even when there's like, like Manchester United dress, whatever, even if there's other wrong things that shouldn't be taking that much precedence in your heart, you can say to Jesus, Jesus, look at this heart. I want to be set free this morning. I want to see you today. Forgive me. Help me. Change me. And he's smiling. You're bringing your sin to him right? It's not that you're sinless. You're bringing your sin to him. I'll take care of that. You've come to the right person. I broke the power of that on the cross. Let's go to work here, and he will work in our hearts. He says, Jesus is beautiful. You come to him as you are. I don't care how big the sin is, how strong the sin is. He will meet you. He will put it to death. He will free you. He will help you. Never say, oh, this would be a really bad morning to worship because of what condition my heart's in. This is exactly where you need to be when your heart's in that place. Understand that? Oh God, you are my God. We come needy, we come empty, we come longing, and He comes and meets us. So that's the first step. He expressed his longings to God. Now, second step. David set his heart upon the truth of God's power and glory. Truth is central here. Look at verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Underline that word, so. Very important word. In verse 1, David is saying, I'm hungry for God. And so, or therefore, or because of that, in verse 2, I'm going to set my heart upon the truth of who you are. Now, what does that teach us? What, te what that teaches us is that the way to experience more of God, the way to know more of God, the way to have a more powerful heart reality of God's presence in your life is through the truth of who God is. It's truth. 
God reveals himself to you in a heart-stirring way through the word of God, through the truth of God's word. Some of you maybe have been desperate for God, longing for God, saying, God, I want to know you. Reveal Jesus to me more powerfully. Jesus, I want to, I want to experience you. Help me. Come. But see, if your Bible is staying closed while you're praying that, nothing's going to happen. Because the way that God will reveal Jesus to you, the way that he will pour his spirit out upon you, the way that he will pour his love into your heart is through the scriptures. Do you see that? So you've got to set your heart on the truth of, and here David says, God's power and glory. So what would that mean? David's in corporate worship with the other Old Testament saints, and they're all singing psalms, right? That's what they all sang together. And psalms, psalms are scripture, okay? Our songs that we choose, some of them are scripture, and all of them contain scripture and biblical truth. So we come, David would have come, and he would have sung songs about God's power, about the power of God in creating the heavens and the earth. Oh, God, you spoke and the universe existed. Praise you. What a God you are. God, you brought plagues upon Egypt and set your people free. What power. And then, God, you parted the Red Sea so your people went across. So David set his heart upon truth. God Red Sea, plagues, creation, truth of God's word filling his heart. And then he sang songs about God's glory. And the highest expression of God's glory is his mercy. So God's mercy in delivering Israel from the Philistines. God's mercy in providing manna and water for them through 40 years of wilderness wanderings. God's mercy in forgiving their sins through what Jesus the Messiah would do. So David's setting his heart on God's power and God's glory. After he's hungering for God and expresses his hunger, he knows the way God's going to meet him is through the truth of God's word. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Okay, we, we sing songs that are full of biblical truth. So think about those truths. Ponder those truths. Songs about God's sovereignty over everything. Just, oh, you are sovereign. You are, have all authority in heaven and on earth. God's love in sending Jesus to the cross that the Father would send His Son to the suffering of the cross. What mercy, what love. That Jesus would go to the cross to rescue His enemies who had committed treason against Him. What love, what compassion. That Jesus broke sin's power, paid for sin's guilt, rose from the dead, conquered Satan, conquered death, conquered sin. So we're setting our hearts on the truth of who God is. So don't miss this. If you want to, Meet God more, know God more, experience God more. Don't keep your Bible shut. Open up God's Word. And when we come together to worship, think about the truths of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit that we're singing about. That's the second step. Third, David praised God for his steadfast love. That's verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now notice what David's doing here. He's proclaiming to God who God is, right? Your steadfast love, God, is better than life. Now, God knows that. He knows his steadfast love is better than life. He's not telling God anything God doesn't know. So why does David tell God who God is? Why does he do that? Why does he say, Lord, your steadfast love, to, to behold the beauty of your love, to experience and taste the beauty of your love is more satisfying to me than anything else the world has to offer. Why does David say that to God? Here's why. 
It's because as he proclaims to God the truth of who God is, God will come and will give him a taste of those truths. That's what you'll experience when you proclaim to God your steadfast love, beholding your love, tasting your love. Your love is more satisfying than anything else. As you, from the heart, tell God about his steadfast love, he will give you a taste of his love. Let me give you some examples now. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that has these lyrics, okay? The lyrics are, we are a moment. You are forever. Lord of the ages. God before time. Okay, we're going to sing those words together. Now, what, what should we do if we're going to be tracking with David and how to worship? What should we do as we're singing these lyrics? As we sing those lyrics, don't just sing the words like to the air, sing them to God, sing them to Him. We, God, we're just a moment. You are forever. You are Lord of the ages of all time. You are God before time because as you declare to God, not just speaking words to the air, but as you say to God, this is who you are, God will meet you. He will take those truths deeper into your soul. You will behold them more. You'll feel them more. You'll be transformed by them more. Another example. We're going to sing these lyrics. You are greater, Jesus. You are greater than it all, than it all. Grace and mercy found me. Oh, the blood of Jesus is greater. Don't you love those words? Now, when we sing those songs again, don't just speak them to the air, but tell them to Jesus. Jesus, you are greater. You're talking to him. You are greater than it all. Your grace, your mercy found me, saved me, forgave me. Oh, the blood of Jesus is greater than anything because as we sing those songs to Jesus, as we declare to God who God is, God will pour out his spirit and take those truths and make them more real in your heart, help you behold them more, see their beauty more, feel their majesty more, experience God in those truths more. That's the third step. Okay, fourth. David lifted his hands before God. Verse 4. He says, So I will bless you as long as I live. That's the same as the previous verse. He's praising God for who he is. I'll bless you as long as I live. And then look at the last part of verse 4. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, throughout the Bible, we see people lifting their hands in worship. We see people standing to honor God. We see people kneeling down in adoration and submission. And all these can be powerful, but, but none of these physical expressions are the main point of biblical worship. The main point of biblical worship is our hearts, right? What's happening inside of us. And one of the reasons for that, as I was thinking about this yesterday, is that physical expression is very much a matter of people's individual personality and temperament right? And also culture. I mean, some people and some cultures are just much more open and expressive than others, right? We all understand that. So we should never judge each other, okay? Can, can we just commit Grace Church? We're going to be a judgment-free zone here, okay? Okay, we should never judge each other because somebody sitting there with their hands folded, 
could be worshiping 10 times as fervently as somebody standing with their hands raised, right? You see that? So no judgment, okay? But I would encourage you to explore what the Bible describes. Explore. Maybe start in the privacy of your own home, okay? Kneel down when you pray and say, God, I'm, I'm kneeling as an expression of your sovereignty and my being humbled before you. This, try this in the privacy of your own home or lifting your hand as you worship, saying, maybe, as in, say, God, save, save my children. Or as an acclamation, you are my treasure. You are my love. You are my passion. Just try that and, and, and see if physical expression doesn't increase what's in your heart. Here's an example. Husbands, okay, picture this. Wives, you can kind of picture too, and single people, okay, but, but husbands, you're, you're sitting across the room from your wife, and you look across the room, and you say, I love you. Are okay, you feeling that? Okay, on the love meter, that's like, okay, pretty good, okay. Now, what happens if you get up out of the sofa, and you walk over to your wife, and you fold her in your arms, and you say, I love you? What happens? Mmm, okay, right? I tried it yesterday, okay? <laughs> Works, all right? That's just how God's made us, okay? Physical expression can increase what's happening in our hearts, all right? Now, again, that's not the main point of worship. The main point is our hearts, but I would encourage you to experiment in the privacy of your own home if you want to start there and see what God does. That's the fourth point. Now, fifth. David was completely satisfied in God. That's in verses one through, I'm sorry, verses five through eight. This is so interesting because in verse one, like I said earlier, he's hungry. He's thirsting. He's seeking. In verse five, he's satisfied. His thirsts are quenched. He has found what he's seeking for. Do you see that? The change between verse one and verse five is dramatic. Read verses 5 through 8. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So he's talking about his soul satisfaction and how that's going to express itself even at night when he's going to sleep. And here's why. Because you've been my help, verse 7. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, notice how this action is different than the first four that David describes. The first four are actions David takes, right? He expressed his longings to God, set his heart on the truth, praised God for his steadfast love, lifted his hands before God. Those are all actions David takes. This is not an action David takes. It's a passive verb. All you grammarians out there, it's a passive verb. It's done to him by God. God satisfies him, right? My soul will be satisfied. By whom? By God. God will satisfy his heart. So David was not satisfied in God because he was supposed to be. It's so important to understand. No, God had so poured his love, his glory, his grace into David's heart that he was satisfied. 
Think about the illustration David gives. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Okay, just picture it. You're eating baby back barbecue ribs slathered with barbecue sauce, okay? Or your favorite biryani, there it is. Mm. Or braai, right? There it is. Oh, sizzling, yes. Okay. Just don't get too hungry yet, but just picture it, all right? So there you are, and you're enjoying this meal. Now, it's not that then you try to feel satisfied. I'm supposed to be satisfied now. That's not how it works. You are satisfied, right? Food satisfies. Nothing like Jesus satisfies, but food gives you a little satisfaction, okay? And the same is true with God. That's exactly why David uses this illustration. When you express your longings to God, you set your heart upon the truth of God and His Holy Son, Jesus, and you speak back to God the truth of who He is, God will pour His Spirit out upon you so powerfully, reveal Himself to you so powerfully, touch your heart so powerfully that you will be satisfied. Because when you behold Christ in His glory, Jesus is the all-satisfying treasure of the universe. And when you see Him and behold Him, your heart is satisfied. Do you see how that works? So this is not a step we try to take or we're supposed to take, but as we take these steps, as we pray, as we long, as we speak, as we press in, God will do this in our hearts. So those are the five steps that David takes in worship or that God takes on David's behalf, the last one. Now let me close with with one last illustration that I found very helpful. I hope it'll be helpful for you. And then we'll move into a time of worship. Yosemite Valley is a, is a place in, in the U.S., in California. I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the U.S. And to get there, you, you go through a tunnel, and you come out of this tunnel, and, and it's just like, boom, there it is right in front of you. This incredible green valley, and you know, massive granite, El Capitan on the left, and waterfalls, and mountain peaks, and a river running through the middle of it. It's absolutely spectacular. And when you drive out this tunnel, there's a parking place right there, and there's always people parked there taking pictures. Ooh, ah, look at that, look at this, look at that. It's, it's a beautiful setting, okay? But now imagine that you drive through that tunnel one day, and you go and park, and in front of you, all you see is fog. No half dome, no beautiful greenery, no waterfalls, just this thick gray fog that's there. Now, that's where I often start in worship, okay? I've, I've walked in the tunnel, I've sat, okay, and I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not seeing it, I'm not feeling it. I mean, I still believe in Jesus, okay, don't, don't get too worried, all right? Still believe in Jesus, I'm trusting Jesus, but my heart's distracted by this, thinking about that, then maybe, maybe sin bubbling up, you know, whatever, I mean, I'm, I'm here, and so if at that point, if we just kind of go through the motions and just kind of sing the songs and move on, hope that hopefully the sermon will be helpful or whatever, that's not what we should do. What we should do is we should, we should come and we should say, God, help me. I'm hungering for you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not beholding your glory much right now at all. Come and help me. I'm thirsting. I'm longing. I'm seeking you, God. And if there's sin to confess, you confess your sin. God, forgive me, I'm very preoccupied about this. I'm bitter about this person. I'm jealous about this. Lord, forgive me. Help me. Change my heart. Come now. 
And like I said, Jesus smiles when you come before him like that. He's moving toward you with everything that you need. And then set your heart upon the truth. So you see the fog there, but you're, just, you're looking. You know, you know Yosemite Valley's there. It's there. And you're looking at the truth of who God is, who Jesus is, in the lyrics of the songs. And then you sing and you proclaim these to God. You proclaim them to Jesus. Jesus, you are greater than it all. Father, you are glorious. You are loving. You are powerful. Jesus, you are the Savior. We worship you. And so you're speaking the truth of God to God. You're declaring to Jesus who he is. You're saying, God, come and help me. Open my eyes. Move upon me. And I promise you, as you do that, you will see the wind of the Spirit start to blow. And that fog will start to lift. And you start to see. Oh, yes. 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 Right? And God will be touching other people in the same way. And we will be swept up into the presence of God. And we will be satisfied. Because we see him. And we behold him. And we worship him. We can all start with hunger. Right? And help me. And then God will come and do the work. Let's pray together. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up? Let me pray and ask God to meet us now. Father, as we... In fact, let's go ahead and stand up. Father, we want to live Psalm 63 now. We want to do what David did together now. And so I pray for me, I pray for us, Lord... We're hungry for you. We're thirsting for you. We love you. You've given us so much in Christ, and we know you have more for us of beholding you, rejoicing in you, delighting in you, being satisfied in you. So would you come right now and move upon us? Lord, we're all in different places. You will be able to touch each of our hearts because you love us through Christ. Help us to set our hearts upon the truth of who you are. Help us to declare to you the truth of who you are. And then show us your glory. Show us your glory today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.